everyone out there, what's going on? Welcome to ScreenSpeak, a podcast that's all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson, this is my podcast, and I am very appreciative that you are listening to today's episode, which is all on the movie Catch Me If You Can, Steven Spielberg's uh, early 2000s film about the con artist and now, uh, I believe, famous FBI employee named Frank Abagnale Jr., but... Before I get into everything in the episode and everything like that, let me just get those plugs out of the way because they help grow the podcast and so on and so forth. So let me just do that. First, go ahead and hit the follow button on whatever it is that you're listening to this on, whether it be on Spotify or Google Podcasts or Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast service that you like to use. Please go ahead and hit that follow button and or download episodes so that you don't miss out on any future episodes of ScreenSpeak. Also, if you like social media, you want to get into all that and communicate with people, fans of the podcast and myself, you can go ahead and check that out by searching it, uh, searching for it on Instagram, which is just titled at ScreenSpeak Podcast, or you can check out the Facebook community group and search for ScreenSpeak and request to join the group. You can ask me any questions that you'd like there, talk to the fans, just post memes, do whatever it is that you want to do. It doesn't really bother me as long as it's about movies uh, and you know, you're just having fun with uh, talking with others uh, about it. So go ahead and do one or all of those things and you'll be forever in my good graces. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Let's go ahead and keep rolling with the content. <clears throat> Uh, But before I do, I'm going to take a sip uh, of the sponsor of this episode, which is H2O. Uh, I'm just kidding if you didn't figure that out. Water is not not sponsoring this episode, but I'm thirsty, so I got to take a sip. Ah, delicious. Actually, can I really say delicious about water? It's water. Uh, I, I actually think Jim Gaffigan, the the comedian, he has a great bit about that. He's just like, uh, oh, it's uh, more watery than water about people that only drink bottled water versus tap water or something like that. I, I'm sure, I'm sure I could find the bit. In fact, I'll put the bit in the description of this episode because I'm trying to get better about that. If I make an obscure reference of some kind, it's it's actually nice to be able to point to and be like, hey, like that's what I'm actually talking about as opposed to just pulling crap out of my rear. But anyway, more water incoming. Uh, I don't know what it is. I don't know what it is about wanting water after a nap, right? Is that just, is that just me? I had a rather glorious nap this afternoon and I'm talking like the kind where you have a little bit of drool that comes out of your mouth and onto the pillow and you feel it on your face. It feels kind of gross for a second, but then I actually think that means that your body's telling you that you just had some really good sleep. So, um, but <clears throat> I don't know that, that that's what happens to me. And so I had this nap, got really thirsty. And so I've just been drinking a lot of water. So that's, that's my thoughts on water and naps apparently. And the drool that comes out of your mouth and everything like that. Okay. Whatever. You're not, here, you're not here to hear me talk about that. Uh, you're here to hear me talk about this movie. Catch me if you can. Uh, so who out there is familiar with this movie? Catch me if you can. I'm looking it up right now because I should have been a little bit more prepped for this episode, but whatever, trying to just make do with what we got. Uh, so this movie was released on December 25th of 2002, so right around awards season, uh, in which, as far as their awards go, I think it was actually up for some. Let me take a look here. 
Yeah, so it uh, it was nominated for two Academy Awards, including Best Supporting Actor for Christopher Walken and Best Original Score by John Williams. And actually, when I think of the score uh, for this movie, I don't know why this is—it's like one of those ones I could like actually sing out loud openly. So, like the the, the opening of the movie, for instance, I'll insert a little bit uh, of it right here. It goes like this. that's enough of that but what is it about that why is that so catchy i i couldn't tell you but man john williams uh he he really is one of the greatest composers of our time uh It'll be a sad day whenever we end up losing him because just because of all the sheer iconic works that him and his team have created over the years. Uh, I mean, truly amazing. And, and the score in here is no exception. It's a gr- it's a really good score to listen to. Um, but let's go back to talking about the actual uh, movie itself and its plot. And I'm just going to start jumping in. So the synopsis of this movie goes like this. Frank Abagnale Jr., played by Leonardo DiCaprio, worked as a doctor, a lawyer, and as a co-pilot for a major airline, doing all of this before his 18th birthday. He was a master of deception. He was also a brilliant forger whose skill gave him the first real claim to fame. At the age of only 17 years old, Frank Abagnale Jr. became the most successful bank robber in the history of the U.S., Uh, And then also in the story is the story of FBI agent Carl Hanratty, played by Tom Hanks, uh, that makes it his prime mission to capture Frank and bring him to justice. But Frank is always one step ahead of him, hence the title, uh, Catch Me If You Can. So so that's the story of the movie. Uh, Reason why I'm talking about it on on this episode of the podcast, it's for a couple of reasons. Uh, One... I'm holding in my hand right now the 20th anniversary Steelbook Blu-ray of this movie that I picked up a couple of weeks ago at a Best Buy, and I, I've been actually wanting to upscale this movie for a while, because it's one of the few movies that I do uh, still have a DVD of, but it's because I've been holding out for a 4K copy of this, and I've been holding out and holding out for it, and just... You know, I just keep getting crushed, I guess, on this because I can never find a 4K uh, version of this movie. Uh, finally did some research, found out that it's not coming to 4K, at least not anytime soon. But in the meantime, they put out this uh, this Blu-ray. And it's been on Blu-ray before, but it was just like a standard edition. And it was always like 15 bucks, and I could never really justify paying like that amount of money for a slightly upscaled version. But... This one got me because it's a cool steelbook edition of it. Uh, I think there it was a limited edition, so I was like, okay, you know what? If I'm going to do it, now's the time to, to get this done, so I'll go ahead and just get the steelbook of this. And it is a nice-looking steelbook, but aside from that, I don't think there's any real new material for this movie. I'm pretty sure the uh, bonus features just got ported over from the DVD. I'll have to double-check that, but... Uh, I'll actually go ahead and uh, see if I can put the link for this in the description of this episode in case anybody might be interested in picking that up. Uh, but that's why I'm talking about the movie, just because I purchased it recently, and so I rewatched it. 
Uh, and I was like, okay, uh, you know, I haven't talked about this movie, uh, been wanting to, so that's what I'm doing. Um, but it's a fascinating true story thinking about the, the early life of a person. And I I think when I think of this true story, uh, there's a couple of things that come to mind. One, the fact that he, this, this young man was able to do all the things that he did. And and I'm not even going to get into the criminality of it, but just being able to do everything that he did being uh, the impersonations that he did of being a doctor, a lawyer, a po- well, sorry, let me get this in order. He starts with being a pilot, and then he pretends to be a doctor, and then he pretends to be a lawyer. He's making checks, going all over the world, doing all kinds of stuff, and he does this only over the span of a couple short years. Uh, it's not really that long if we're looking at the grand scheme of this person's life. So... I think there's a lot that can be said about that. There's a clear genius, I think, that's on display uh, in the movie, which uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, just for the record, he does a great job, I think, in this movie. It's one of my uh, favorite performances I've seen him do uh, because the actor that's going to be playing a role like this, somebody that you have to believe is believable at, at being this this con artist, like they have to have a lot of confidence. They have to have a lot of charisma. There's, they have to have a likability about them. There's a lot of things they have to have in order for us to believe that they could uh, pull off being all these different roles and essentially just being a master of deception. And, and so I thought DiCaprio handled that brilliantly. Uh, but the person that he's playing, Frank Abagnale Jr., what a what a life. Um, let me let me just look up some bullet points on this guy so that you can really fully appreciate. Uh, who this person is. So we got Frank. Frank Abagnale. It's not Abagnale. Not Abagnale, but Abagnale. Okay, I pulled up uh, Abagnale.com. So if anyone wants to actually look at his legit website, we can take a look at that. Um, And I'm pretty sure this is like 100% his website. So it's what it appears to be. God, he has quite a bit of accomplishments listed on here, but I'm, I'm just going to read the top part on this so that we fully understand who this guy is. So if you don't know, Frank Abagnale Jr. is one of the world's most respected authorities on the subject of forgery, embezzlement, and secured documents. For over 40 years, he has lectured to and consulted with hundreds of financial institutions, corporations, and government agencies all from around the world. He's been associated with the FBI for over four decades. He lectures extensively at the FBI Academy and for the field offices of the FBI uh, Investigation. So, sorry, Federal Bureau of Investigation. Uh, Let's see. He is an author as well. Uh, He did write the book that the movie's based on, Catch Me If You Can. He's also written a new book called Scam Me If You Can, which is uh, uh, the subtitle of it is Simple Strategies to Outsmart Today's Ripoff Artists. That would actually probably be a pretty decent book to read. I will put that in the description as well. Uh, and then the list goes on for all the different um, the just things that he's done. He's spoken on a lot of things. Been, uh, a lot of things been featured in magazines. Uh, he's been profiled quite a bit. So I, I mean, the guy has lived uh, an incredible life, and he's also so smart that a lot of the uh, early forgery techniques and things like that because he was sort of so ahead of the game at doing it 
he has developed a lot of the uh, fraud prevention techniques that are still to this day being utilized in financial institutions across the world. So that's pretty crazy. Uh, quick personal story that I have to share on the person. Um, I, I do actually have the autograph of, of Frank Abagnale Jr. I, I have his, his real signature. Uh, it's definitely one of the coolest things I think I have in my movie collection. Uh, so I suppose I gotta say how I have that. Uh, without saying, uh, without giving away too many details, I'll just say that I had a family member that was, excuse me, I had a family member that was at a conference or something like that. And, and Frank Abagnale Jr., he was a, a guest speaker there. He, he talked, I think, probably about Catch Me If You Can and, and some other things that he was there to talk about because it had to do with uh, financial security. And, and so this family member, uh, they let me know that he was there. I, at the time, had been a big fan of this movie. And I was like, oh, my gosh, like the real guys there, would you be able to get his autograph? I, I asked this person. And my family member, I, I remember he actually was like, I don't think I should go up and, and, and ask him for, for an autograph for, you know, his criminal exploits. But then I said, I'm like, look, I'm like, he, he knows this movie's out there about him. I mean, he was an active participant in its making. I, I'm sure he's just sort of owned uh, that part of his life at this point and probably actually has a lot of it to thank for some of his future success. So come on, I, I I'm sure he's not going to mind that much if this, if this happens. And so he went up to him, this family member of mine and asked him for the autograph and he got it. And so to this day, I keep it on my movie shelf. I, I have, uh, I have it in like a, I, I don't know how you describe it. You know where you keep like a rare bear, uh, baseball in something like that, a little plastic display box for that. That's what I keep it in. So uh, until I get a, a, a better setup for it or something, that's, I guess, where it's going to live. But it's extremely cool to have that. Uh, but I want to go back and, and talk about the early years of, of Frank Abagnale Jr., starting with his, his teenage years and his upbringing, because that's when, of course, all this craziness starts. In the movie, it shows that it happened as a result of divorce. Um, not saying it, it solely became from that, but his being able to do it at such a young age had to do had to do with the fact that he was a teenage runaway. Uh, because in the movie, his parents get divorced. He sort of freaks out and doesn't know if he's like, oh, I'm going to live with my mom or my dad. He just sort of runs away from it all. And before he knows it, he's lying his way to being a pilot for Pan Am. But I think the the line about it all is actually what's interesting. It's like why why is that the person's first inkling to to be a con? Like how does somebody become a con at such a young age? Right? I think it's a valid question. Uh, the movie certainly makes it look like it is coming from the influence of his father, which is played by Christopher Walken. Uh, they show early on in the movie that at least at one point in the man's life, he was, uh, for lack of a better word, uh, successful and, and a model citizen, at, at least seemingly to his son, Frank. Uh, they show him at a Rotary Club dinner, big, big uh, formal, fancy Rotary Club dinner, uh, getting some award for like Rotary, uh, Rotary Club member of the year, something like that. Uh, his father gives a speech in which Frank actually ends up adopting it throughout the rest of the movie. Uh, I'll, I'll see if I can insert it here right now. Two little mice fell in a bucket of cream. The first mouse 
quickly gave up and drowned. The second mouse wouldn't quit. He struggled so hard that eventually he turned that cream into butter and crawled out. Gentlemen, as of this moment, I am that second mouse. <laughs> so right from there, we can see that he, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio, Frank Abagnale Jr., has this idolization for his father, and, and he really looks up to him and respects him. But then it doesn't take us long, the audience, to see that he is a bit of a snake himself. Not, I would say, to the extent that his son is, because uh, I, I think his son was sort of like the next evolution of, of his father's con artistry. But his father certainly has uh, deceptive tendencies, starting with him trying to get a suit early on in the movie to put on a show, so to speak, for the manager of the Chase Manhattan Bank that he's trying to borrow money from uh, to cover on his losses. Uh, and apparently, I mean, it sounds like he was taking money or or not paying money to the government for income tax, something like that. The movie never fully explains, but the point is. He starts by trying to get this suit from this lady, makes up a whole line about uh, them going to a, a, a funeral for a, a, a family member that died. It's like a war hero that makes up a whole bit. And then he says that he found a necklace on the street to a charmer. Uh, and, then that, and that apparently works. And, and then the scam proceeds from there to have uh, his son uh, pretend to be his valet driver all again for the sake of appearance to look as if he's doing well off and that these problems aren't really uh, destroying them. Uh, but of course that doesn't really work for very long and they end up having to sell a house and get rid of a car and they go into a kind of shabby apartment. Uh, so certainly a downgrade from where they were at before in their lives. Uh, but in any case, when this divorce happens, he ends up leaving. And so he just makes a run for it and just gets on a train. I think he heads to uh, either a different part of New York. I'm not really sure where it says in the movie exactly he first starts at. But uh, the reason he's able to start getting around with his, his check scams and stuff is because his father gives him a checkbook with uh, a check a checking account in his name. And, and so he introduces him to checks. And th this is this is at the at the time. This is the late 60s. Uh, when this first starts. So you have to imagine that banking and, and everything like that back then was a completely different world. The securities were, I'm not, I'm not going to say non-existent, but I mean, hell, they were freaking ancient compared to what they have in place today. So for a criminal back then, it was, you know, especially one as smart as, as Frank. I and mean, that's like, that's like paradise happening right there. Um, but I think, I think the line element and whatnot came from his father, but what I actually think was most interesting about him being a con artist and whatnot is that I, I don't think a lot of it actually seemed planned. Uh, I, I don't know if, you know, if you've seen this movie at this point and you could say the same when you're watching it, but a lot of him is just, he's just sort of flying by the seat of his pants and he's being very impulsive and very just kind of go with the flow, it seems, on a lot of these things. Um, but I think he just understands that he has such a, a knack with people and he has a confidence and he knows how, you know, he's, he's a fairly good looking young man. He, he looks older than he is. 
And so I think he has a high self-awareness of these these soft skills that he has, and, and he's able to just model and be who people want him to be to get what he wants. Uh, but, but it goes beyond just the soft skills, I think, as well. Uh, he clearly is a, a genius, I think, in a few different ways because, you know, I, I could be charming as hell, but that doesn't mean I could actually really fool people into thinking that I knew how to talk like an airline pilot or I knew how to speak the terminology that a medical MD would do and, and not be taken seriously for it. So it's like there, there's obviously uh, a lot of intelligence to display on a number of levels, but I think a lot of it started uh, with his soft skills and sort of, you know, being very self-aware that he had them and, and, you know, he took advantage of people with that. And all of that, I think, was just him being very impressionable uh, at a young age and, and taking after his father, uh, so to speak. But it's, it's, it's kind of heartbreaking, too, uh, looking at it. I, I try to think... If I was 16 years old and I just totally up and left home, I, I, I don't, I wouldn't be able to survive. I, I'd crawl to a homeless shelter, crawl in a gutter, uh, crawl to anywhere. But I, I don't know if I'd be able to stand on my own two feet uh, and, and do and do what he did. But then again, uh, as I said before, it's a different time. This is a different time in America, a different time in life. The rules were different. The rules of the game were different at that time. So it, it's it's anybody's guess to say what you would do if you were stuck in that situation. But in any case, uh, it, it's it's extremely it's extremely interesting to watch in the film. Um, you know, another thing that I'm thinking about when I think of this movie is con artistry as a subject, like the real the real artistry of it. Uh, I'm actually going to look this up right now. Why are con artists called con artists? I have my own two cents on it, but I'm going to see if the Google meaning actually, you know, actually matches up with what I think. So let's see, con artists, and oh, yep, meaning. Here we go. So according to the dictionary, a con artist is a person who cheats or tricks others by persuading them to believe something that is not true. Uh, I mean, yes, but I'd like to see a little bit more of a, an elaborate spelled out meaning for this. Okay. Okay, yeah, the, I just found another dictionary quote on here. That's not really what I want. Uh, okay. Idioms. The free dictionary. That No, yeah. A person who exploits the vulnerability of others for their own sake by manipulating and taking advantage of their confidence... Uh, the act of which is known as a confidence trick or game. Uh, it is the common abbreviation of the full term, competence artist. Okay, so according to these few dictionary things that I just pulled up here, they're, they're just basically saying that because the person's confident enough and they're good with their words, they can just bullshit their way through uh, to get things that they want. And I guess to an extent, an extent that's true, but what I want to focus on right now is the, the real artistry of it right i i think that's that's sort of what separates the you know the ones that are the small timers versus somebody like a frank abagnale jr is the real art form to it because i do think and and again i'm i'm not trying to say that i have an admiration for con artists or i think it's great what they do that that would be that would not be good of me to say. I mean, these people clearly are taking advantage of others, messing people up uh, psychologically with emotional uh, manipulation, financial manipulation. So there's a lot of bad things there, but I don't know. I can't help but admire a little bit 
just the real artistry, I think, that would go into being so successful at it. Because you have to you have to think on multiple levels at how you'd have to be successful at this. Uh, it all starts from the appearance. You know, you have to really look the part. You have to sound the part, act the part. I mean, it's it is like. I guess for somebody that's not uh, like a professional actor and was not, it's like you're being a professional actor, but with real, real world consequences if you if you don't nail the part, so to speak. Um, so I don't know that that part of con artistry. Like any, anytime I see a con artist movie, uh, another one that comes to mind is Matchstick Men. That's that's a great con artist movie. Uh, but there is something I always admire about just how quick they are, uh, how quick a person like that has to be on their feet and how they are willing to, uh, well, certainly they have moral flexibilities. Let's just put it that way. They don't really care uh, about <laughs> about about uh, following the rule of law, right? They don't care about that. But I don't know. There, does that make sense, what I'm trying to say right there? I, I hope that does. It's like I, I the, there is a real artistry to a con artist, and, and I think you just have to really look at it from all the different levels that they are playing the game to, to get what they want. Um, but ultimately, of course, this is something that just leads to there being a lot of consequence, right? Uh, which the consequence takes shape in the form of the FBI that is after them because... Uh, like any criminal wrongdoing, eventually it's going to catch up with you and you will lose. Uh, Tom Hanks' character in the movie, he says it best that he's like, the house always wins. You know, the government is like the house. Like, you can try to outrun them. You might be ahead for a while, but eventually you're going to make a mistake. Eventually you're going to do too much and boom, you're caught. <clears throat> and so that's the... That's the side of the story that's played by Tom Hanks, the, the wonderful Tom Hanks. He's Cal Hanready. Yeah, I don't I don't know exactly what that accent is. Uh, is it like a like a New York thing? Uh, I don't know, like a New England kind of accent. I, I I'm not really sure. I wish I could say I was an expert on accents. Maybe one day I'll read a book and be able to brush up on that a little bit better. But in the meantime, uh, Tom Hanks, uh, he's, he's really he's really good in this movie. I mean, he's fantastic in a lot of the movies, but I think especially when he pairs with Steven Spielberg, uh, they, they really do make a good team together, and they've made uh, a lot of terrific films. Uh, and this one's definitely no exception. Uh, but I, I, like, I like the dynamic that they have in the movie that... You can even tell as him as a, as a professional agent, he uh, sort of, I think what I was saying, has a bit of an admiration uh, or at least respect for the skills that this person has. But then I think at the same time, he also sees the kid in him and sort of, in a way, it feels like resembles a surrogate father, uh, father figure to him. Not that Frank Abagnale Jr. doesn't have a father in the movie, because again, he's played by Christopher Walken, but... You know, he sees troubled youth, and, and I do think there's a part of him that actually genuinely cares about him stopping before it gets too late because he sees the brightness that this uh, that this kid has. Uh, and ultimately, it's because of him, in the movie anyway, I've never actually checked out the, the real, real story of this, but I, I, I think it's fairly, fairly accurate. But if it wasn't for uh, Agent Hanratty, you know, he... Frank probably would be just riding in jail and, and wouldn't be uh, 
you know, turning his life around and, and changing the, the course of his life by, by actually ended up working for uh, the FBI. Because spoiler alert, that's what ends up happening, uh, is that finally when Frank is caught, um, he's Agent Hanratty visits him in prison and starts showing him kind of other checks that he's working on, and he starts seeing how quick uh, Frank is to start giving real um, insights over the scams, oh, uh, real uh, real good observations that are actually going to help catch a lot of these people. And, and that's when Carl gets the idea that he's like, you know, we, we've spent you know, a lot of time and effort trying to get this little shit, <laughs> you know, get him in jail. But man, he, he really was uh, like one of the top check, uh, you know, check kiting artists, uh, con artists in, in the world. Maybe we could use him, actually find a way to use him and, and then, you know, save this young man from having to rot in prison for all his days and, and give him a new start to his life. Because again, remember this, this whole thing took place between the ages of like 16, 19, something like that, all before his, all before his 21st birthday. I know that. Uh, so eventually that's what, that's what comes into play for the movie. Um, but, but I'll, I'll actually get to that, uh, in just one second. I, I wanted to talk about a couple other themes of this movie that stick out to me. They're, they're, they're coming in now. They're coming in everybody. They're just, they're just pouring, pouring in. Uh, well, let me pour some water in my mouth first. Cause I got dry mouth. You know, what do you want me to do? I got it. <clears throat> okay. <coughs> Excuse me. Um, what? Yeah. That, ooh, about, <clears throat> you know, an interesting theme, <clears throat> excuse me. There's an interesting theme. That's, uh, yeah, <clears throat> there's several interesting themes. <clears throat> there are several interesting themes that are at play in this movie. Uh, one of the ones that really stands out to me that I think is really, really interesting is the notion of living a lie. Uh, like, what does that mean, living a lie? Because that's ultimately what, what Frank is doing to himself is that he's so good at his con artistry and, and he's so good at lying to people that I think a lot of the time he's just lying to himself uh, doesn't really know who the hell he is, doesn't know why he's doing what he does. He just knows that he's good at it and that he can continue to do it and, and be able to not be chained down. Uh, but ultimately, I think this leads to a lot of loneliness in his life and, and a lot of regret and, and different different things that are certainly uh, detrimental to a, person's, uh, <clears throat> to a person's life in the long run. But I want to go back to talking about living a lie because I think that that's really interesting. I think that for a lot of people out there, uh, and I would actually throw myself into this because I think on a certain level it's true, but a lot of us are living a lie if we really stop and think about this. You know, we're not, we're either not being as forthcoming and truthful to our, you know, to the people around us. You know, we, we, we hold back certain things or we, we uh, think about the way that we say things in an avoidance of, uh, hurting somebody's feelings or possibly getting too much attention on us. Uh, you, you could even start throwing in all the, the cancel culture stuff going on right now because people put on a, put on a face because they don't want to, you know, they don't want to lose their livelihoods by having sometimes, sometimes people know how they really feel about certain things. So I think there's a lot of us that live a lie to an extent like that, but then <clears throat> also from ourselves too, uh, 
this is something I found all too real in my own life is that as you get older, uh, things get more complicated. You will start getting more responsibilities and eventually the pace of things can, can pick up quite a bit till you hit a point that you don't even recognize the person that, that started this great, this great journey. That's your life. And, you know, before you know it, you're, you might, you know, just stop and be like, man, like, what do I think about all this? Do I really, do I really like this? How do I feel about this? You, you don't even know sometimes how to articulate it. Uh, and, and then, you know, before you know it, you, you know, you become somebody that you're not and you know, it's, uh, it's not easy. It's, it's definitely not easy. And, I, and I'm not saying that like that solely about myself. I'm saying that there's parts of myself that I could certainly feel uh, an understanding for that. Um, I can say though, like if there's a part that on me, I feel like I'm living a lie. Uh, it, it is sometimes it's on the creativity front. Uh, it's a really hard thing to explain, but I'll just say that I have a lot of, of real aspirations and, and drive to further myself creatively. Uh, but sometimes I, I find myself in a dilemma because when I think of the time that has to go into to ultimately getting this, you sometimes pause and, and you stop or, or you find excuses to not pursue it and push it further because you're like, well, you know, I, I got bills to pay. I, I have people that are counting on me. I have uh, responsibilities. I, I can't just take those risks that, you know, that somebody maybe in their younger years would do. Um, things like that can kind of start coming into play and, and you know, I, I, I don't feel, I don't feel that bad about it right, right now in my own life. I'd like to, I'd like to be doing more, uh, creatively that's for sure, but I'm working at it. And, and I think that's the main thing is that just one day at a time, I'm just taking, taking steps, taking proactive steps to, uh, to try to, you know, figure out what I'm doing on the creative front and, and hopefully, you know, hopefully connect with connect with people, uh, on the same thing and, and make an impression. Uh, hope, hope, hopefully that made sense. Maybe, uh, maybe, but I just wanted to talk about that. So living a lie. I, I hope, I hope that if, uh, if you're listening to this out there and, and maybe something that I was just rambling about there in the last few minutes, if that, if that hit on something for you, uh, just know that you're not alone in that feeling. I, I think it's, it's a powerful feeling, but, I don't know. Lying to yourself is certainly, I think, one of the worst things a person can do. And, and we all have to work to, to be more honest with ourselves, our true selves, um, and then, you know, ultimately be able to respect what we're doing at the end of the day. Um, you know, because if you can't, if you can't make, if you can't make yourself happy, you're, you're, you're really not going to be able to make other people happy. That's, that's, that's just that. Um, but Ultimately, uh, Frank, going back to Frank here, you see what I did there? Going back to Frank. <laughs> uh, that's that, that was the dumbest segue ever. Whatever. Whatever. Uh, but I think Frank ultimately does start to accept who he is. Um, he figures out that his deception, his skills with that certainly have, uh, you know, there's a desirable quality there. People, he, he sees that through the FBI that he can utilize this skill. Um, but it's it's interesting when he starts going into it because he, he, it's not something that he feels like he wants. I, I think that, that that's really interesting. Like He's like, oh, my God, 
Carl, he's like, how, how long do I have to work here? And, you know, Tom Hanks is like, look, man, like, if you're not doing this, you're going to be rotting in jail. You're going to be shitting in the bucket and having no sunlight for years and years. You want to do that? It's like, this sounds like it's better. But it's not what his choice was. And I think we have to look at that in his life and see that from an early age, he maybe felt like he didn't have a choice. Uh, he got into the con artistry just to sort of survive and figure out what the hell he was doing, getting from point A to point B. And it's like that never stopped. And so by the time he got to the point where he can work for the FBI, that's like the first time where it's it's one of my favorite scenes in the movie where he's working for the FBI, but then he has like his first weekend just to himself. And he's like, well, what should I do? And Tom Hanks is like, yeah, man, do whatever you want to do. And he's... Uh, Frank Abagnale grabs the pilot suit and he starts walking down a terminal and, and, and Tom Hanks follows him. He's like, where are you going? And he's like, he's like, get away from me, Carl. He was like, I just, I, I'm just, leave me alone. He's like, I'm going, I can't, I can't do this. I can't live, you know, play it straight. I can't have an ordinary life. Um, but then Tom Hanks, uh, you know, Carl in the movie, he's, he says, and it's a powerful moment in the movie. It's like, Frank, he's like, no, no one's chasing you. I don't understand. Sure you do. Sometimes it's easier living the lie. I'm going to let you fly tonight, Frank. I'm even going to try to stop you. Because I know you'll be back on Monday. Yeah. How do you know I'll come back? Look. Frank. Nobody's chasing you. And I think that's sort of a realization moment in the movie where where he's Frank is is just sort of accepting the fact that, yeah, man, I, I, I can just stay put for a while. I don't need to I don't need to be on the run. But that's what he was used to for such a long time in his life was just constantly running and having to be one step ahead of people. Um, and so when he finally does come back uh, towards the end of the movie and and starts helping with check forgery and whatnot, it's sort of, well, it's, it's nice to see. It's, it's nice to see somebody just accept the talents that they, that they get, that they have and, and put it towards something good rather than living the life that he was starting out to live. Uh, really, really interesting. And, and I encourage uh, anybody that hasn't already, if you've never listened to Frank Abagnale talk, uh, he has tons of talks online. You can listen to him, give speeches. He's done Ted talks, Google talks, uh, a lot of different things on there. I might try to link a few in the description of this episode, but the, the man is absolutely fascinating to listen to. And I think he his life is ultimately one of inspiration to me, at least in the long run, because it shows that second chances are possible. Uh, and hell, in this country, there's I think there's more than second chances. You, you have so many opportunities for success. Um, but I think they, they, the, the forms of success can sometimes come in ways that you did not think about and that you have to, at a certain point, just learn to, to let go of, of a life that you think you should have and, and start living the one that, um, that you're meant to live. And, and nobody, I don't think, can tell you how you, how you figure that out. That just comes through, through living. And if we're all so fortunate and lucky out there, we can maybe, just maybe, uh, be able to do what we're meant to do on this earth.